0: It is great to be able to come and to come back, and to come back is a very important part of it. Uh, because while it's always a privilege to be invited someplace, when you get invited back, uh, well, then that's positive. It's, uh, the alternative is basically being just like the, the guy who uh, just masters in first dates. Like nobody will go out with you a second time. It's kind of, you know, it's nice to have those dates, but it's much better to know that there's something that somebody wants to at least get to know you. So. And and if I am stuck in a rut, this is a good rut to have on Good Friday, so I appreciate the opportunity here uh, this evening, although it is a little bit overwhelming as I was asked to, when I was told the subject that we're going to be talking about today, and uh, it's great that you've broken the topic of the person of the Holy Spirit into three, uh, and then saved the experiential part for me. Um, It's overwhelming for this, because can I define the Holy Spirit theologically? No problem. Uh, But when you move to the experiential part, you know, this is like trying to take a sip from Niagara Falls. Uh, Because while I I will be able to share what God has revealed in one sense, to be able to exhaust what there is to know about the Holy Spirit as we interact with Him uh, in this Christian life is to know everything there is to know about God because the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Godhead. He is equal with God the Father and with Jesus Christ. And I'm not that smart, and I haven't lived that long. And the promise is that those who are in Christ will live for eternity, and we'll be growing to understand that. So with that understanding, I'm not trying to lower the bar this this evening, but my hope is uh, to work through a passage uh, that will give an outline of some categories for us to be thinking about the work of the Holy Spirit uh, as we are told uh, in the Scriptures. Uh, And at the same time, I really haven't, decided even still how I'm going to do this because I, well, I like this is probably more of a teaching time because of the subject. And so if you have questions or you want to butt in, please do. Uh, interacting, Interactive is, is um, I enjoy the interactive parts of, of teaching and the subject that is this broad um, it's quite likely that I may just skip over the question that pops into your head and so I, I would hate for that to happen. Um, I read a number of years ago, there was somebody that had written a, a kind of a, call it a spoof on the Apostles' Creed. It was really a spoof on kind of the, uh, the banality of the uh, American church and using the Apostles' Creed. And so it began, I believe in God the Father Almighty and Jesus Christ His Son and the Holy Spirit, who did some weird stuff at Pentecost, but doesn't seem to be doing much these days except for speaking into the hearts of individual believers. And the idea of that is, probably hits all of you in in different ways because if the video is a reflection, you come from different backgrounds. Uh, Some of you would think of something like that and say, what do you mean the Holy Spirit doesn't? We see the Holy Spirit showing up in our church every single week. Others of you go to churches that the Holy Spirit is rarely talked about in hushed tones, it may be out of reverence or it could just be because the whole idea of the Holy Spirit just freaks people out. <laughs> you can't control him, he does what he wants to do, he seems to think that he is in charge, and we like control, now, almost everyone in that. And so we, we come with different ideas, not only of who the Holy Spirit is, but what he does. And so this evening I wanted to hear what Jesus said to us about the Holy Spirit and glean from what he says uh, some principles So I'm going to read from John chapter 16. Uh, I'll begin reading in verse 4 and continuing down through verse 15. I I was told that your speaker in the last week or the week before uh, also used this passage. Um, I hope that we won't be covering a lot of the same ground. Uh, Repeat is good because we learn reruns are awful because they're boring. (laughs) So hopefully while we'll cover a little bit of the ground, um, which is good, uh, we'll, we'll be looking at different things because we're asking a different question of, of this text. And so I'm going to begin this reading. I'll, work, I'll read through the whole, and then we'll work our way through it. Jesus had been telling his disciples for a couple of chapters now that he was going to be going to the cross and then he would um, be going away. Um, and Jesus says this, I did not say these things to you uh, from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me. And none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your hearts. Nevertheless, I, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they did not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say uh, to you, but Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Now, as we work through this, one of the things that jumps out at me when I look at this particular passage is Jesus' explanation of why he was going away or why it was better for him to go away. And even now, if you think about it, it's a rather perplexing kind of statement. I mean, Jesus is the object. He is the one who has redeemed us. He is the one who to whom we worship. He is the one through whom we have access to God the Father. Every promise of all of the prophecies were pointing to the person of Jesus. And these disciples have Jesus now in their midst. They have all the promise of God fulfilled. And now the promise of God fulfilled saying, now you have everything. It's better for you if I go, and then he tells them uh, the reason why. But it's it, it really is that that should prompt our uh, thought to recognize that the person of the Holy Spirit is vitally important. He is not an add-on. He is not a supplement. He is not a spiritual Aflac policy. (laughs) In other words, you have everything you need, but just in case you need a little bit more, we're going to do that. He's not an energy booster. He's not an extra battery. But he is God who has come and from the very beginning of eternity, when God laid out his redemptive plan, it was always intended for the Spirit to be working with the Son and with the Father, not only in the creation, but in the redemption and in the way that people live in this world. And Jesus said that way the way that God has laid it out the fact that I have going to death going to rise and then going to ascend it's better for you that that happens than if I and who am the King stays and hangs out with you. so that begs the question what exactly does the Holy Spirit do why is it beneficial for us to have the Holy Spirit rather than the physical presence of Jesus Christ For us, it's all we've known, but for the disciples, it seemed to be certainly not a good exchange. You don't bargain for what's behind door number two when you have everything that you want and every promise already in your hands. God's way is to bless us and to benefit his people by allowing Jesus to ascend, to be seated at the right hand of God the Father, and for the Holy Spirit to come and to dwell within all who believe and fill the earth in some way, and to pour out power in ways that may make us uncomfortable at times, or may fascinate us, or may intrigue us. What exactly does he do with that power? I think we get an indication first of what Jesus was saying when he gives a title uh, to the Holy Spirit. Now, there's a number of nicknames the Holy Spirit has, all of them. Uh, which are reflective of some of the things that the Holy Spirit does in the lives of believers they are part of of his his function and uh, the way that we are able to be connected and and relate to God. And the ESV, which I read, which is generally a very good translation, says, if I don't go, the helper will not come. Some of your translations will say the comforter or the counselor. And in this case, the ESV is not a particularly good translation of the word, uh, you know, the Greek word, uh, it is parakletos, or sometimes uh, shortened for Paraclete, And it, it, it's, it really is better. It's translated in the NIV and some other translations as the advocate. And it's a, a much better description of what that word means and gives us an identity of what the Holy Spirit does. Now, certainly the Holy Spirit is the comforter, and he is a helper. Uh, but in this case, the word advocate has some connotations that... Counselor sort of has, but when I think of the word counselor, a lot of times, first thing that comes to mind is, you know, the person you go to and you lay out, you know, here's the problems I've been going through, and somebody tries to make you whole. Spirit does do that, but there's another word that we use for counselor. Uh, A lawyer is also known as a counselor, and he counsels and guides and directs. It's also similar to this word in terms of advocate. So when you think of counselor in this way, will think of the counselor as the advocate. And the reason it's significantly important to make this difference, even though both words are appropriate and all these labels are appropriate, one of the things that we need to understand is just the, the significance of the fundamental work that the Holy Spirit does. And I began to think of it this way, is if I ever need a defense attorney, which is essentially what an advocate is, I, I would much rather have a defense attorney who knows what he's doing and is going to be able to, uh, to have the full knowledge of the law rather than one who's just merely a comforter. If I'm standing before a judge and possibly going to be going to jail for the rest of my life, I don't want somebody who's going to come around and say, Oh, it'll be okay. It'll all work out somehow. I mean, if he knows what he's doing and he's going to do his job, that's fine. I want to know that it's going to be okay because it's going to be okay and that he's going to be able to do what's necessary to make it okay. Because when we're talking about spiritual guilt, this is not a matter of going before a judge on some trumped-up charge. In this case, going before God, I'm guilty. I mean, I'm dead. I need a really, really, really good advocate. I really need a good attorney. And and that's what the Holy Spirit does here. He is an advocate that goes before God the Father on our behalf. And it's similar language is used in in John's letter when he refers to Jesus as standing on the right hand, and he's also our advocate. And we have a beautiful picture of what takes place in the gospel, that Jesus and the Holy Spirit are, I guess, a a great legal team on defense for those who belong to, to, to Jesus. And I don't know about you, but whenever I think about my struggle with sin. Particularly things that, you know, I, I thought that I had grown, I thought that I had gotten past that, but pfft, now I'm struggling with the same thing, or I go into periods where I'm struggling with, with the same thing. I know that I've been declared forgiven because that's the promise of God for those who belong to Jesus Christ. But I just have this picture of God as the Father, as the judge, and then my advocate going before the judge and saying, like, Your Honor, I know my client's an idiot, but, you know, have mercy. I, I know he's been here before. I know he's done it. I know, I know he's guilty. You know he's guilty. I know he's guilty, but, you know, have mercy. John's language in First John, speaking of Jesus, but also part of what the Holy Spirit does, he doesn't speak the language of have mercy. The Holy Spirit has the advocate, and, and, and Jesus uh, goes before the Father, and His Holy Spirit points out this. Or you know that my client is guilty. I know he's guilty. He knows he's guilty. But Jesus paid the penalty. Therefore, to bring any judgment upon my client is unjust because the penalty has been paid in full. See, that's what the advocate of the Holy Spirit does. He advocates as a mediator between us and God by pointing to the accomplished work of Jesus Christ as the foundation and the hope of the security that we have because God in his love sent the Spirit to enable us to believe and receive the gift and receive the advocate in the first place. And we know nothing else other than what the Holy Spirit does. That's an important thing to do because I don't think I'm the only one that sometimes struggles when I fail and when I fall and when I feel weak and unable to overcome my temptations in my, in, in my weak faith. But to know that that's what the Holy Spirit does and that there's something objective reality that he points to and it's not my behavior, that's an advocate. And because I know that he does that, well, then he can be my comforter because he can tell me this is the plan. I'm going to go before the judge and tell him that you are a moron, but that's besides the point. <laughs> Jesus is faithful and has died and rose again, and you belong to him. And so the comfort comes not just in the patting on the back and patting on the head and saying, okay, somehow this will all work out. It comes by the Holy Spirit pointing to the objective reality of Jesus. And Jesus says something about that later on. Because if you remember, as I read this, towards the end of the passage that I read, Jesus says, the Holy Spirit... What he does is he glorifies jesus the holy spirit never points to himself we don't find that anywhere in any part of the scripture the holy spirit sometimes known as the, the shy member of the trinity because he always is speaking on behalf of somebody else he's speaking on behalf of jesus he's pointing to glorify jesus he is our advocate that is the role that he has chosen within the trinity There are other aspects of what takes place there, and we see Jesus unfolding them here in, in this passage. What Jesus says here in, in as he goes on, he tells them this, and really kind of gives us a little bit of an outline for the categories in, 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 in here. When the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness, and judgment and then he goes on and gives an outline concerning uh, concerning sin because the world didn't believe in me concerning righteousness because i go to be with the father and and you won't see me any longer concerning judgment because uh, the ruler of this world uh, is judged and if we look at that as an outline we we see certain categories that where the holy spirit is at work one is in the issue of salvation both as a conversion and in our spiritual growth because they are they are connected the whole idea of being becoming a christian is what scripture jesus says calls us born again and so if the whole idea if the, we were just left alone after we were born again that would pretty much be like a midwife helping to deliver a child and saying job's done and everybody leave that child alone that's just wrong and, and so the spirit is present with us and enabling us to grow and we're going to see a connection there. So we see first the picture of how the Spirit works in terms of our salvation, our conversion, then our spiritual growth, which is sanctification. Uh, we see uh, the Holy Spirit also at work in carrying out the redemptive purposes of God, which I think is indicated here uh, by the fact that he will bring judgment on the ruler of this world. So i to touch on each of those categories for just a moment. And here, I'm going to be fairly broad in some ways, and so this is where your questions may come in, things that you've heard, things that you understand, or I, I may skip over and not talk, but uh, if, uh, if you do have questions, please speak up. When he talks about, the, the first thing that Jesus mentions here is that he will bring conviction of sin. In one sense, it sounds like that's a bummer. I mean, who wants to have somebody around that's constantly just pointing out all the stuff that you do wrong? But he does tell us also the reason that he's doing that is because the world has not believed. And if the world is not aware, and we are part of that world, if we have not believed, it's because we have no understanding that we have need of what God was doing in the person of Jesus Christ. It's only the person who is hungry, it's only the person who's need, who is willing to receive the full gift of God. So the role of the Holy Spirit is to come and to bring to mind those, uh, bring to mind the, the holiness of God. And the reality is that we don't measure up. But in the scriptures, we need to also understand the idea of bringing conviction of sin and pointing out sin. And the Holy Spirit is never alone. It's, Jesus is speaking almost shorthand here, and he's he's going over it closely. But the idea of conviction of sin, and that's what he's saying here. It's not just pointing the stuff out, but bringing conviction, helping us to understand that we are guilty. Which leaves us to think, I have no hope. I can't fix anything. Preparing us to receive what the Spirit speaks about what Jesus has done on our behalf, which brings us to repentance. And one of the things we need to understand is that repentance and faith always go together. They are the two sides of the same coin. They always are together. And sometimes in the Scriptures, we see that as, as done in shorthand. When somebody is brought to repentance, the answer for repentance is not just grovel and grovel and grovel and go deeper. But the answer to repentance is to say, what hope have I? Well, the only hope that I have is that I don't belong to myself. I belong to God because I belong to Jesus Christ. And he's mine, and I am his because I have believed. And I believe that he is my only hope. See, we're reminding ourselves of what we believe. And so faith and repentance, faith and repentance. One of the great Puritans said, Faith and repentance are the two ways to fly toward heaven. Both are absolutely necessary for salvation, because you don't get very far with just one way. But it's not only a matter of conversion. The Holy Spirit continues to be at work within those who already belong to God, who have already been judicially forgiven, declared pardoned of our sin. But the reality is it's still there. As long as we're breathing, we will continue to struggle in some way or another. Some are ways that we know other people struggle with. Some are ways that we are afraid we're the only ones that die. We keep things very close because we, we are afraid if anybody knew what I struggled with, nobody would like me. And so many people feel very lonely even as they have become Christians. And, and sad reality is sometimes the last place that you want to be honest about what you're struggling with is a church. That's got nothing to do with the Holy Spirit. It just is an indication that we in the church need the Holy Spirit desperately. And one of the things the Holy Spirit does is bring the conviction of sin by the promise of the grace of repentance and those two things go together. And with repentance, he points us back to what Jesus has done on our behalf. And in that way, we fly toward heaven. In other words, it's the way that we are to grow. We become more aware of our sin and yet how great the grace is in God's love as demonstrated in the cross and because we recognize we're loved more than we knew and the Holy Spirit reminds us that's what the Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit doesn't say look you, you know you stuck it up again He points these things out in a way not to bring condemnation but to bring reality so that we'll repent believe be restored and have joy and he constantly points back to what Jesus has done on the cross he's going to glorify Jesus so the Christian life is made up of this as well. Jesus says he's coming to also not only to teach us about the convict us of sin, but he, he's coming to show us righteousness. Jesus said, the reason is you don't have me standing here uh, physically anymore. I, I'm not going to be the constant reminder of what God is like. But you need that. So the Holy Spirit will constantly remind you both of my character, which is a reflection of God. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen God. Jesus is the physical manifestation, God in the flesh. But without him present, we don't have that. And even if he was present, because he is fully man, he would only be at one place at any time on the face of the earth, even if he took up a TV show. We wouldn't be able to know presence of the Holy Spirit is able to transcend everywhere and be everywhere at the same time. And so the Spirit is at work constantly reminding us, this is what righteousness is, pointing to the character of God as seen in the person of Jesus Christ. The reason being is we are told that even though we are credited by faith with the righteousness of Jesus, in this life, spiritual growth is a matter of growing into that. So more and more, we see the character of Jesus Christ Born out in our lives. So we have this constant tension, aware of where we fail and where we need to grow, but aware of seeing fruit growing in our lives. You see, Apostle Paul talks in Galatians chapter 5 about the kind of fruit, and that's one of the things the Holy Spirit does. It's part of telling us what righteousness is, reminding us that we're growing into that. And the Spirit is at work within everyone who believes, and there's a power of the Spirit that is bearing fruit. It's not something we practice, reverse, and cultivate. It is by faith and trusting, following the guidance of the Spirit, who Jesus says here will lead you in all truth. So the Spirit, as He's speaking to us, is helping us understand ourselves, the need of Jesus, and the promises of Jesus. And then He is at work in power in our lives. And then we see finally, Jesus says here that He will bring judgment to the ruler of this world. And He's talking about our enemy, Satan. And that is something that will come in its time. It's going to be a historical reality, not a mere metaphor. And it's kind of a capstone on the mission that is engaged in this world now. And I look at that and in no way want to minimize that what Jesus is talking about in that. But it also reminds me that that is the final thing in the mission that Jesus was sent on earth to accomplish, which... We see John talking about, Jesus talking about in John 4, the Father is seeking worshipers from everywhere. So there's a, a mission that Jesus has come to accomplish to secure people from everywhere. And that's known as God's redemptive plan. He's bringing the people to himself He that, that belong to him. The one who is the enemy, who is opposing us, who would devour us, who wants us dead, and wants to knock us off of uh, our connection with God, though he can't disconnect us, It can make us feel that we're disconnected. The Spirit will be engaged in blocking him up, putting him away for good. But that reminds us that the Holy Spirit has more power than the enemy in this world. See, many of us have this idea that somehow there's this cosmic battle going on. There's God and there's Satan and they're equal and they're not. almost like, for whatever his reasons, and I don't know what they are, other than God in his mercy has not sent Jesus back yet and finished his work because there's people that he still gathered. But it'd be kind of like a big cat playing with a little mouse and just kind of smacking it around a little bit before you you know what's going to happen sooner or later. Satan is not equal to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God. And the fact that it's already predetermined, predicted, that He will bring judgments. is a reminder to us that He is more powerful. And that whatever God has ordained to take place will happen. Now, this is where I would say that we would see that category where God gives spiritual gifts as well. We see in Scripture a couple of lists. Uh, Romans has a list of spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians has two uh, lists of, uh, of spiritual gifts. Ephesians 4 has a list of gifts, but they actually are more tied to the offices of the church, and so probably are not best used as a spiritual gift indicator. Uh, but there are uh, spiritual gifts that the Holy Spirit bestows for the very reason of engaging everyone who belongs to Jesus in God's redemptive plan. We're told to have some he's made teachers, and some he's given compassion, others who are helpers, and there's a tremendous list, and I don't think there's any reason to believe because the lists are not the same, that, that, that those lists are themselves exhaustive. But there is a purpose for each of the gifts, we're told, and that is for the building up of the body, the building up of one another, for the advancement of Christ's kingdom here on earth, for the accomplishment of God's redemptive plan. And so every one of you here has spiritual gifts, probably more than one. And they tend to be things that, as you do, you have joy in doing them. There is fruit that is that is born. People are blessed as you engage in these things, and you don't necessarily think that you're doing anything special. You're just doing sort of what comes naturally. And yet, every one of those gifts is vitally important. In fact, because some of the gifts are more visible and seem to be cooler than others, we see Paul having to go back and say, no, 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 it's a body. Every part of the body is important. Everything goes together, even if some get more glory. You know, you read old poems about the, the, the guy who's in love and talking about the, the beauty of the eyes of the object of his affection. When I was in college, I was dating a girl one time, and I thought, let's go through a song that was... Uh, Valentine's Day, go through Song of Solomon and see if there's any good lines here. <laughs> Her hair is as a flock of goats, which did over very well. Uh, guys, uh, guys, don't try that one. That doesn't go well. Um, but there's certain things that we are attracted to. I have never once read a poem or heard a song about the beauty of a stream, And just but you know what? I don't want to be without it. Every one of us has a purpose within the body. Every one of you has a gift that is meant to build up. And right now, part of that is building up this ministry here because you are an expression of the body. As the churches that you are participating in here in in this community or when you go home, your gifts are meant to be helping that church to be what that church is to be so that each church will do what they are called to do for the advancement of the kingdom of God in their community and around the world. While some of the gifts seem more valuable than others, we're told that's not the case. But the Spirit, in His wisdom, is the one who is bestowing those gifts on people. Now, a lot of the questions that people have tend to fall in the category of, well, how does the fruit come, and what gifts exist, and what gifts don't exist. But what I wanted to give you tonight is kind of an overarching framework of what the Scripture teaches of the role of the Holy Spirit. He is the one who brings salvation to all who believe. You would not have believed apart from His walker. He is the one who grows us by not just telling you, you're wonderful, but in love, reminding us that we fall, but not so that we would have condemnation, but like a great teacher that you've had or a great coach at some point, pointing out, we need work in this area. But here's the good news. It's not just a matter of you working, but Jesus has already done this. Believe and grow. And the Spirit is at work. He produces fruit and grants you gifts so that you have value and purpose. In this world, for the sake of the kingdom, for the benefit of the world to come. I'm pretty much exhausted with uh, my full knowledge here at this point, (laughs) what I'm going to do. But, um, one, does it make sense? Two, what didn't I touch that you're wondering? And I reserve the right to say, I have no idea. Yeah. Yeah, I'm gonna answer that in, in two different ways. And one is I think it's important that we have to understand that spiritual gifts are different than natural talents. Although sometimes they dovetail. That's pretty much all I understand about that part of it. But, um, so I feel like Forrest Gump here. But um, that's all I have to say about that. Uh, <laughs> when I'm saying church, I, I guess I, I, should, I, I there is both the local expressions and then the church in the world, which is invisible so the spiritual gifts are used in the context of a body and you know technically this is a parachurch not a church but you use it in the context of this body which is for the sake of influencing this campus uh, being a blessing to this campus and so in that way but sometimes those spiritual gifts will be borne out um in in, uh, in ways that um bring encouragement to the world as a part of god's common grace as he brings blessing to both believer and unbeliever alike. Is that is that kinda of, kind of what you're asking? Okay. Anything else? All right, good. I got avoided that. Are there tongues and all that other kind of stuff? Is that the Presbyterians or the Pentecostals? So anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, then, encouraging and that that you'll be able to the categories themselves will be helpful for you and again it's far from exhaustive there are so much more and one of the joys is growing and understanding that but i would just encourage you one of the key things is to understand this is that as jesus said that the spirit will always glorify the spirit in terms of the use of the spiritual gifts at times the spirit will be noticed particularly those who know that spiritual gifts come from the spirit the spirit never speaks to me. So where abuses take place in the use of spiritual gifts and others is when everybody focuses on just the spirit at the expense of the cross, because that's not what the spirit is doing. Now, on the other hand, for churches that do that, there is the spirit is worthy of all glory, and so churches that highlight the spirit in a way that would make people in my church really feel weird. You're right. We don't do justice to the Spirit enough, and even those who celebrate the Spirit. But as glorious as the Holy Spirit is, realize He's pointing to Jesus and saying, that's who you are. Because our hope is not in the Spirit, our hope is in Christ, and the Spirit is the one who applies all of what Christ has done that we recognize this time. So that would be my one encouragement, caution, wherever it comes, is to... Let the Spirit, the Spirit points not over to Himself. That's our fascination, which is understandable. But the Spirit will take you to the cross. Let me close this, uh, this part in prayer, I guess, and then as the worship team coming back up to lead us in song. Father, we do thank You. We thank You that You have not left us alone. You have not even left us merely an example and a legacy in Jesus Christ that you have sent your Spirit, who is our advocate, who brings comfort, who is our helper, who is an empowerer, who is an equipper, who convicts to build up and never to condemn, at least not those who belong to you, and is our ever-present strength. May you enable us to be sensitive to the work of the Spirit in our lives. May He bear fruits In us, among us, and through us. I pray. In Christ. Amen. Thank you all.